0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. I'm excited today. Today, I'm joined by Rachel Bider. Rachel is an entrepreneur that owns two massage studios, In the New York metro area called Press Modern Massage. She's the author of a newly released Amazon bestseller, Massage MBA, and she is a wellness business consultant. Really excited to have her on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Thank you for hopping on today. Why don't you tell everybody, that was a mouthful. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you're working on today, and what you do?
1: I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. So what that means to me is I've been building an umbrella brand with several different components. So first and foremost, I'm a massage therapist. I started a private practice back in 2008. Uh, At its height, right before COVID, we had four locations, 48 employees, and we just did about 10 million in sales.
0: Woo! Congratulations. Awesome. So is that, that's 5 million a studio?
1: Uh, no, well, we had, we had four studios actually at the time. Got it. Um, so I had just opened our fourth location and uh, I, I just was scaling to looking at fifth and sixth uh, right right before COVID hit. Uh, and so I'm there's a long story of how we got to from four to two, and I'm sure we'll dive into that. Yes. Um, but yeah, so brick and mortar is is my heart and soul. I love brick and mortar business. Um, and I started working with other folks who are trying to grow and start their own practices and so I got into wellness business consulting as sort of a side project and that side hustle has been really awesome. I love working with folks who want to grow a therapy practice, a, a massage practice, acupuncture, you name it, anything in the health and wellness space and really in the service industry. Um, a lot of a lot of those similar a lot there's a lot of similarities in different fields that are, wellness related, but also service related. And then the book really came from a desire to help folks who are just starting out in the, uh, wellness space. So the book is called massage MBA and
0: look at that. Everyone for those who pulled it up again, massage MBA looks great.
1: Thank you. And, um, that's been a really exciting launch that that was recent. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm up to these days. Now I'm, now I'm looking at more physical locations to keep expanding the business.
0: That is an incredible story. Tell me a little bit about the book first. Let's start with the book. What inspired you to write this book?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think when I was building my business, I had a lot of anxiety. I didn't really know where to begin. I didn't have a strategy per se. Um, I didn't know enough about delegation. And certainly as I scaled, these things got worse and worse. Um, you know, and I, I learned along the way quite a lot, but there wasn't a book for wellness entrepreneurs that I had found. So I, I was reading about a business book a week in totally unrelated fields. And I still like to read a business book every month. I've slowed down a little bit for my week weekly habit. Um, but, you know, I think I could not find a book that was really specific to the anxiety I was feeling to starting a practice, growing a practice, delegating. And so this book is a little bit of my journey and how I did it. And it's also um, just some very basic strategies, some decision making uh, laid out, made simpler, uh, a basic understanding of everything from SEO to marketing to um, hiring your first employee and things like that.
0: That is really smart on your end. since. I love people who didn't find what they were looking for, so they just built it themselves. So, kudos to you on that front. I love that. How long did this take you to write? How long, when was the idea conceptualized and it just released? So, when did you start the idea till when it got released?
1: I actually started interviewing people for this book uh, about five years ago, which is wild. And so much has changed, but I think in interviewing people, that's actually how I found my second location. So five years ago, I had one location. We were doing about a million in sales, a little over. And uh, I started to think about, you know, what happens if, they sell the building or there's a fire or the L train shuts down, which it was pending to do, you know, like what happens to that location if there's a difficulty and that's my sole income. And I started to get really anxious. And I feel like in a weird way, anxiety is my superpower. Uh, I think a lot about, you know, just the decisions I was making as I grew and a lot of it came from this place of I'm feeling really anxious, something bad is going to happen. I better just make a little life raft just in case. And what I learned in the process of looking for that second location, I started actually on the side, just interviewing folks who I thought would be helpful. And I started writing down the things I was finding and, and uh, that's the the genesis of the book. And actually the reason that I found the space I was in is I I interviewed this wonderful woman, Jessie, who has a Pilates studio. And I was looking around at her space in Greenpoint in in a neighborhood, just North of my current business and, and thinking, wow, this is a really gorgeous building. Are there anything else available? And she says, actually, a neighbor just moved out. Let me put you in touch with the landlord. And that's how I found my second location, like right off the bat.
0: Incredible story. Little real estate entrepreneur in the making here. <laughs> I love it. The, so you have this book, but before that, you had your first location. Obviously, this is an interesting business that was challenged through COVID, massage therapy. What was that like, especially in a hotbed like New York?
1: So we had to be, we had a mandatory shutdown for almost five months and our business went from, you know we were on track to do 2.2 million in sales conservatively. I'm always very conservative with projections because I like to be excited at the end of the year. (laughs) And, um, we were conservatively to to basically zero overnight because we are a hundred percent service-based in-person business. And we were legally not allowed to operate, not remotely, not locally, not to mention, I was very scared for my massage therapist. I want to keep them safe. And, um, we had not set up the, the, things that we have now to operate more safely, like the in-room air
0: filters and this was all four locations or just one? This was
1: four. Yeah. We had four locations. I had opened up um we were in Dumbo, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Long Island City. I opened up LIC uh, in October. So we were barely open six months (laughs) before closing. I I the the day of my wedding was in that build out like approving things to go.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, it
1: was wild. And then, so for me, I, I, uh, closed our locations that we had, we had all, I laid off 48 people furloughed temporarily. Um, and then a week later gave birth to my first baby.
0: Congratulations.
1: So, and then two days after that was applying for the EIDL and the PPP and uh, the S things oh came goodness. through was, was working on those, on those processes. So, you know, for me, so you I, had
0: your baby, I'm sorry to You had your baby March of 2020. In yeah. New March,
1: York City. March 24th. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my God.
1: It was a wild ride. That's for sure. And, yeah. you know, I, I just kept thinking about the safety of my employees was my, was my biggest concern. And I had no idea how, you know, we have, we have rent in the bank, but we don't have five months running on zero rent in the bank, you know, and sure. for me, I don't have investors. I bootstrap this entire business myself. So, and our build-outs are a couple hundred thousand dollars. They're not inexpensive build-outs, you know, as retail goes, they're actually reasonable, but, you know, I've, I've done a lot of this. I might, you might see me painting a wall myself, for example, to save a little bit of money. So for me, I had some debt from the fourth location that I had been paying down and all of a sudden, like... You know, we have these rising payments, we have landlords who are threatening to sue uh, and we had no idea when or if or how we would reopen any of it. Um, So in the process, I realized I couldn't carry the volume of rent that I had been and I had to be a little more agile. And so, you know, as as I mentioned before, before we started recording, I actually have a, a real estate degree. I, I became a licensed real estate agent just for fun one time. And I just to study it because I was curious about how it works. And uh, I'm very intentional about having good guy clauses in my leases, thankfully. Yep. Uh, and so th- there, there's a reason for that. And and so I felt it was a little short-sighted on the landlords to, uh, to be demanding full payment during that time, um, especially because, you know, for us having gone from the volume we did to zero overnight, uh, was just challenging. And I did the very best that I could, but it took a few months for the PPP and EIDL to come through. And overall, we had just about half a million dollars of of loans from the government, thank goodness. Yeah. You know, because we were down about 600K this year. But, um, you know, not before, unfortunately, having to leave two of our four locations. So that's why I say it was short-sighted on the landlord's front because we we could have, you know, made those payments eventually.
0: Would you have done some type of program with the landlord? Were you trying to work with them, like defer the rent?
1: Oh yeah. Anything, literally anything. I would have done pretty much anything to save those spaces. And as I moved out uh, from, from my Dumbo location, I saw a whole bunch of other neighbors in the elevators and the stairwells also having to move out. So, and I am certain that they haven't released all of those spaces.
0: Interesting. We tried to, it was tough time, right? So I have over 2000 tenants. And if you have 2000 tenants that aren't paying rent, you know, I'm in the same boat as you. So we were able to work with the majority of our tenants on some type of uh, plan to work through. It was not free rent, but we tried to work with our tenants, especially the entrepreneurs that were in a different position than some of these large battleship companies. And We had a program for our small business owners that we got them into in order to help them through the time. And we had very little scenarios for the amount of tenants we had. You know, we had very, very few scenarios where tenants vacated. So sorry you had to do that. That stinks. You know what?
1: It is what it is. and I always think whenever something happens like that, I try to think of, okay, well, what's great about this? Like, what, where's the good in this? Because I just have to put myself in that headspace to, to keep moving forward. And so when I think about that, I think about the fact that there's about to be a lot of really cool real estate on the market, which is very exciting to me. And um, we're actually looking at spaces right now. Amazing. I think there's going to be even better locations, even even cooler areas. There's going to be offices that are already built pretty much the way that we want them. So I don't have to do as heavy of a lift for that just a little cosmetic zhuzhing, but I don't have to necessarily build a bunch of walls. And so, you know, it's it's exciting for me to see um, what's becoming available. Also, I think there's a lot of practices that have gone under that are maybe available to be purchased or to, you know, take over spaces or to absorb some of their staff that might need a new home. So I'm just trying to look at it as an opportunity to grow my business in a different kind of way that otherwise wouldn't have come about.
0: That is truly incredible. Have you figured out how many locations you think this can scale to?
1: Well, that's the wonderful thing about it is that when you start to have systems in place that are scalable, you, you start to get economies of scale too. So for my management, you know, whether they're managing one location or five, you know, it's not that different of a lift because we have such good systems. So the, the girl who I've brought on for operations, I stole her from soul cycle where she was overseeing 93 locations. So for her, this is a piece of cake. Like she wow. can do this in her sleep and i've given her a lot of support and a, a lot of uh just great staff and and so we're we're ready to scale i mean i i would love to scale the the bigger issue that i'm having is that Um, massage therapy is one of those funny industries where it's very different from state to state what the requirements are. New York has the highest requirements, a thousand hours of training. My school was 1200 hours of training to graduate. Um, But there are other states uh, that are like three and 400 hour programs. So the quality of work that you're getting can be a little bit patchy from state to state. Um, And then there are also other states that are more friendly towards businesses than others. So you know, I'm, I'm certainly looking at all of the areas on the eastern seaboard that are fun to get to. I'm also looking at some southern states because I wouldn't mind a little warm weather now and again. And um, certainly the goal is each of these units, each of these locations should be doing over a million in sales. So my thought was, let's see if I can get it to five or 10. And then, you know, perhaps then if private equity feels like getting involved, we'll see.
0: Understood. I, I know that I, I know a lot of people have gone that route. Have any of the large massage franchises reached out to you to pr- potentially purchase?
1: No, I, I think I think that's because the franchise model is a little bit different, and they've paid so heavily for their licensing and their fees that they're they're not likely to to reach out. Um, you know, and, and for me, it's been it's been very important. You see a lot of exploitation happening in those in those kinds of spaces, and so for me, as as someone who felt like a bystander in her own career and often exploited by employers, I, I've always been very uh, mindful of the way that I treat people and the way that I do business. So it's a little bit different. Um, we we don't have because I'm a massage therapist myself, we don't do some of the things that those corporate spa, like big chain spas are doing that costs them a lot of turnover and employees. Many of my employees have been with me for 10 years plus. So I've been really fortunate in that way. Um, And I think that that shows in the way that we do business as well.
0: Wow. How many massage therapists do you have in one studio?
1: So right now, uh, our Williamsburg location is is a quite a lot bigger. So I think there are now seventeen or eighteen. We're hiring. We're in a hiring sprint right now in wow. uh, Williamsburg, and then in Greenpoint, I want to say there are twelve or possibly thirteen. <laughs> And then uh, we also have some front desk folks who are phenomenal and all of our desk has a dual role. So, so each person is not just doing the phones and the scheduling. Each person also does, whether that's blogging or HR or PR or marketing, uh, everyone has, has, has a dual role in the company.
0: Understood. That's the entrepreneurial way. And I I think in an entrepreneurial organization, uh, people tend to like that. So I, I, I think that's really great. How, how big are these? Facilities to have 18 massage therapists. How big is how big are they?
1: So they're not huge. Uh, Williamsburg has nine treatment rooms, and uh, Greenpoint has eight. And in Williamsburg, which is where I started out, I actually had one little treatment room in a basement. And then I found in that same building a a space that was four times the size of my room. And I realized I could put three little rooms and a reception in there. So I did that. That was my first studio. And as our company has grown, I've been able to take over a second suite and then a third suite. So we're growing within the building um, quite well. And, you know, what's the reason that we need so many therapists is that uh, for each of those nine rooms, we split our day in half. So we'll have a morning shift and then an evening shift. So on a Saturday, there might be nine people working in the morning and nine totally different people working in the evening.
0: Understood. The uh, I understand how that is. Are they all employees of you? Because I know I've been to some places, I, I've been to, I don't know how to pronounce it, Air or RA in the city or if, Air Ancient Bats? And it's they're like contracted out, I think. I don't think they work there.
1: Yeah. So the thing is, it's better for folks to be employees for lots and lots of reasons. Um, New York state is not a very friendly place to have contractors. And it's, it's heading in the direction that California did where uh, there used to be this 20 point differential between the the difference between a contractor and an employee. And in California, They initially didn't have any one point weighing more than the other, but now as of two years ago, they made the point that if the worker is doing the same type of work that the business is doing, they have to be an employee. And so because we are motivated to say that we've created jobs politically, and because uh, it's very, if the person is doing the type of work that the business is doing, it's very unlikely that you have truly a contractor relationship. Uh, It just makes more sense to go in the W-2 route. The employee route; it's better for them as well. It's it's a more ethical way of doing business.
0: Got it. You learn something new every day. Uh, You are inspiring. This is really a cool conversation. I think I want to pivot the conversation a bit. Tell me a little bit about what it's like bringing the customer back in. You know, to do a million dollars in a location in a massage location, you got to really bring in a lot of people. And in this environment in New York city, what has it been like to bring customers back and make them feel comfortable?
1: So every Monday, our, we have an all team standup meeting with my, uh, with all of my like management and, and heads of departments. Right. And we do this, it's, we call it our seven by seven plan. So every week for seven weeks, we focus on a different area and then we, we do it again. So each, each area is covered about seven times a year give or take some vacation. And what we ask ourselves, one of the strategic questions we ask is, who is our customer? Who is our customer going to be? What does our customer need? And what are they going to need? And that answer has changed so much over the years. Like as the neighborhood has changed, our customer went from being a yoga teacher, a barista, tattoo artist, to being a mom with a stroller. You know, so like the, this this neighborhood is changing. And so when I think about what does our customer need now they need to be assured that safety is the most important thing to us so how do we build their trust how do i protect my employees and also how do i how do i communicate to our clients the way that we are treating this so seriously and for me that started with you know a therapist and a client. There's no six feet social distancing happening in, a, in an eight by twelve foot treatment room where someone is literally touching you. So what does that look like? And uh, I looked at Wirecutter to find the New York Times top t- choice for air filtration. We got it's called the Coway Mighty, and it's a perfect in-room air purifier. So one of those in every single treatment room. We put a UV system in with our HVAC to sanitize the air coming through. We put those HEPA filters in. We have our our goggles. We have our masks. We have our smocks. Basically every possible thing that New York State. Says this is what you got to do. We like took it up a notch. And then we made sure that we transparently communicated those efforts through our website, through our social media, through our tone, through the way that we engage with our clients, our emails. We just wanted it to be super, super clear that here is everything that we're doing. And our clients came back so excited, you know, and it's such an opportunity because stress for us is a commodity, right? Like when things get bad, we get really good. So it's been a really freaking stressful year for folks. And we've created this place that feels very safe, comfortable, comforting, physically relaxing. You know, we have those table warmers on. It's warm and toasty. It's cozy in there. They're away from their house. They can take a break. They, they are just loving it. And so we've been really lucky in that way.
0: I had not thought about that piece of it, which is, it's been a really stressful time and people probably need to relieve stress and What better way than massage therapy? I I hadn't thought of it from that angle. And I had only been thinking about it of the people's concern about the pandemic. But that's really interesting that that uh, during stressful times, you guys probably do well because people are trying to relieve stress.
1: Yeah. And it, also everybody's setting up these terribly unergonomic home desk office situations. And so everybody's like hunched over their desk like this all day instead of at whatever was slightly yeah, more I think ergon-
0: I am. Yeah. <laughs> Let me sit up right now. Let me sit up now.
1: Yeah. So I think it's really important to also, um, you have to treat the injuries you're seeing. Right. And seasonally we used to see all kinds of funny things like when the hurricane waves were hitting and everyone was injuring themselves surfing. Like we see all kinds of funny trends when there's like a new sport that comes out, um, so, you know, here we are seeing the kinds of injuries that happen when you're on your phone all day, like the, we call it text neck, where you're like looking down at your phone and it's causing strain, or we're seeing that kind of like hunched over posture from just sitting in front of a computer and, and not moving as much as we should. So we do really well when that, I mean, when that happens, we do really well. So.
0: Really fascinating to me. I, I, you hit on something that I, I want to talk about a little bit more before we get into the story, which is the communication piece. We had a three-pillar approach. We had three initiatives to our customers, which are our tenants, as well as the consumers at our shopping centers in the beginning of the pandemic. I call it the ATE. the A-T-E. It was to accommodate, mitigate, and communicate. And we tried to accommodate our tenants in any way that we could to help them. We had grocers that were, you know on fire because people were panic buying and they needed like some storage or something like that. And we helped them with that. The mitigate, obviously we use all CDC protocols to clean the premises that were our responsibility and give guidance to our tenants on how to do that as well. And then most importantly is communicate. And you mentioned like the emails, the social media, we had, you know, things on our website about where to get information about COVID. We were providing information. We had a hotline that people could call. We were doing a lot of social media and and i I found during the pandemic the the biggest thing that helped us get through was the communication we had with our customers and if you kept that going and you were in a place where you could have either phone calls, emails, or digital communication and stay connected with that customer, uh, it helped the relationship in the long term. okay, fascinating stuff. I want to take us to the story. Which location do you want to tell us about today that, uh, the story of how this, uh, this got open?
1: Sure. I think, uh, the more exciting, the more exciting is probably the very first location because a lot of folks don't know, how do you go from working at a spa to owning a business? Like, how do you go from working for someone else to working for yourself? Because that is such a leap. And for Totally.
0: And is that the Williamsburg or the green Yeah, point? that's Williamsburg. Williamsburg. Okay.
1: I had no savings. I had debt from school and I just so badly wanted to do my own thing. And so when I started out, I decided, okay, I'm going to do like a five-year plan. And, and, you know, year one, I will just work for whoever will hire me. By year three, maybe I'll have a private practice. If I'm busy enough by year five, maybe I'll have a business with employees. That was my like long-term goal. And what, what happened is I just did it in six months,
0: <laughs> like
1: six months after graduating.
0: Wow. That's growth hacking right there.
1: So for me, I, I, I was always looking at how do we make the impossible possible? Like what, what am I missing? What can I, what else can I do in this situation? So initially I was treating people out of my living room in a, in a large walk up apart, like as a fifth floor walk up apartment with two roommates it smelled like dinner. It was not really. It smelled like dinner. It was like, you know, whatever I could I had like lasagna the night before you could smell it. It was not a good situation. <laughs> um, my roommates had to like stay in their rooms while I was treating a, a friend really. Cause I didn't have clients yet. It was mostly just friends. The, the first people you work with are always friends. And, um, and from there I was like, you know, I just need something that feels more professional, but I couldn't afford one. And I found in our neighborhood, a physical therapy office. And I walked in, I was 24, very precocious. And I said, do you have a massage here? And they're like, we don't actually. And I said, well, you're more likely to have repeat customers for your PT business if they're getting free massages every week. Tell you what, I will work on your clients for free two days a week. In exchange, let me use this space when you're not using it. And they kind of looked at me like, okay, well, we'll still try it. And this is May. I maybe had like eight or 10 clients who were really just friends. And by August, I had 110 clients.
0: Wow, what year is this?
1: This is 2008.
0: This is genius. That is a genius move.
1: Because, you know, for me, I I knew that I had time to work on people. I had energy. I was young. I had a lot of energy and time, but I did not have money. And so, you know, I was doing that two days a week for free. I was still working at a spa a couple days a week. And then I decided seeing customers one-on-one was going to be much harder, like to get them in the door than if I would just find one person who could refer me a lot of clients. So I specifically started looking for individuals who see a volume of their own clients. So whether that's personal training, who I love because those people are sore, they can afford massage, they care about their health. I also looked at hairdressers. I traded a lot of massage for haircuts. My hair was amazing that year. <laughs> they have like 50 clients a week, you know, like they're they're seeing people back to back and they're sore from like standing up and cutting hair all day. They're, they're on their Totally. Feet, so they love a good massage. Um, I also was looking at chiropractors, acupuncturists. I just made this, this big network of folks who were referring me, a lot of clients. And finally, by August, I was like, you know what, I can't afford to, to spend my time for free anymore in exchange. Like, let me pay you rent. They said no, which I was kind of surprised by. But I found a, a place down the street and that was for rent. And so that's how I started.
0: Wow. And th- that is an incredible story. The place down the street, you mentioned before, it was just like a room.
1: Yeah. So initially there was this woman, Monique, who was a massage therapist and she had a two room space. It was one room that she put up a wall, not even to the ceiling. <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. It was seemed at the time, terribly expensive to me. It was terrifying, but I was like, I got to do it. And I recognized very quickly, I'm not working seven days a week doing massage. It's not physically possible. So I better hire an employee to work the two days a week that I'm taking off because I just to make sure that I have enough rent coming in, I want to make sure to to hire some of people. So I actually had an employee right away, um, almost from the beginning. And uh, the space down the hall became available. I saw for rent sign and it was only $50 more than I had been paying. And as I mentioned, this is like a four room space as opposed to one. And I quickly realized I was paying like 95% of the rent on this two room space, which, you know, business is business is not personal. And I'm glad for that because it was an easy decision to move down the hall. And uh, at the time I was reading the Susie Orman book, I forget how to pronounce her name called young, fabulous, and broke. (laughs) She says she's an economist and she says, uh, if you are going to start a business, you can spend as much money getting it off the ground as you can dig yourself out of within a year doing whatever you were doing before. So that to me was like, okay, I can spend like about a thousand dollars a month. So I decided my budget for the build out was 12 grand, which is not a lot. (laughs) No. And, uh, I laid those floors down myself. I went to Ikea and uh, Target and uh, Craigslist for a lot of the furniture. I got a lot of secondhand stuff. I found a spa that was closing and thankfully was able to buy a bunch of their equipment. And so I bootstrapped it.
0: Wow. That is incredible. You are the American dream, Rachel. This is the American dream right here. Tell us about, and that story is incredible. Tell us about how you go from that to a $10 million business.
1: So, the jump opening up a couple more suites in that building helped. But the real jump for me was uh, I had opened the second location and I hit a tipping point where I was trying to do everything myself. Um, I was spread way too thin. I felt like I was failing all the time. And I realized I was burning out and I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like the feeling. I didn't like the feeling of the business I was in. And I was exhausted. And I realized. I need to get this under control and learn how to scale up or I'm going to just close because I I was freaking out at the time. It was not fun. It was not a fun time for me. And I hired a couple of business coaches because I can never have just one. Uh, (laughs) And one is a very like strategic numbers person and one is a very 30,000 foot view person. And um, both of those, that combination of, of those was really empowering for me because I quickly realized my numbers were much better than I I thought. And actually I could afford to start delegating. And there's this this myth of delegation that um, I can do it faster and I can do it better than someone else. And it's simply not true. Um, And even if you could do it faster, when are you gonna have time to do it really? So I think I learned very quickly, you have to take your hands off the steering wheel a little bit and start delegating right away. And um, on a senior level, I call it cultivating ignorance. So if there is a problem in the studio and someone at the front desk can take care of it for, let's call it $50, I've empowered them to go ahead and make that decision to take care of it and let me know about it after the fact. I don't need to be involved in the decision-making. And I've given this number you know, exponentially higher to other folks on my team, where if my ops manager calls me and there's a, an issue over $1,000 or whatever it is, uh, okay, okay call me, let me know what's going on. But if it's a smaller issue and you can handle it under that, I trust your judgment. I'm empowering you to go ahead and make the decision, fix whatever it is. And I'll tell you something, there aren't problems that are that expensive usually. So, you know, that quiets a lot of the noise. And I also have at a point to be with my entire team, I want 70% of whatever I'm doing every year off my plate the following year. So if I were to list out every single thing that needs to get done on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month to -to to make the business run and delegate that, especially in the beginning, I was delegating that to a remote receptionist, you know, I hired a bunch of VAs and then I was hiring in-person folks and then I was hiring someone to manage those in-person folks as we scale location managers and then an operation manager on top of that. My goal is that for myself and for my entire team, every year, 70% of what they were doing, they should not be doing it next year so they're delegating it to the person lower and it, anything at the very bottom should be automated because it's dehumanizing to do something that can be automated at the end of the day so we're always looking for technological solutions that we can connect you know so whether that's our scheduling software with our quickbooks or connecting um, the communication software that we're using we, I just I didn't want to be a bottleneck anymore for my organization to move forward because I felt like I was standing in the way of progress and so delegation and uh, ignorance, cultivating ignorance. Those are like my two things.
0: Wow. What a great story. Inspiring. When you were looking at um, these business coaches and you decided the 70% delegation thing, I want to focus on that for a second, the 70%. Did you read that in a book somewhere? Did you come up with that? Where'd you get that? I did
1: I, I took a course by a phenomenal guy named Ari Mizel, who I love. And he has a course called The Replaceable Founder. He's a book called The Replaceable Founder. Um, I think he also has a book called The Art of Doing Less. And I just love everything about him because he really is the master of delegation, the master of scaling. And uh, he's also just a phenomenal human being. So yeah, the 70% came from that course specifically.
0: The replaceable founder. Have you heard of Rory Vaden? I have not. So you should check out Rory Vaden. He has a TED Talk. It's 18 minutes, like most TED Talks. That is absolutely phenomenal on task management. And he has a, something called the focus funnel. He takes a task and he puts it into his focus funnel, and the top is eliminate. So the first thing he says you should do is, does this task actually have to be done? Because there are sometimes there are tasks that, why is someone doing this? Does it have to be done? Before before delegation, he says, can this be automated? Can this actually be automated? He gives the example of online bill pay. And says, okay, if, and and I've actually done this myself, if it takes you four hours a month to pay your bills, well, give yourself the emotional permission to actually spend the eight hours to set up 90% of your bills because you can't pay them all to online bill pay. And you've now created more time. You've multiplied your time is you now get four hours a month back for eternity because you don't have to do that anymore.
1: Yeah. I think that's the thing that trips people up too, is that they're already so exhausted from doing anything that the thought of adding one more thing. And so one thing that helped me overcome that in a big way was, uh, whenever I'm training someone to do something else, I have them take the notes. I like, instead of having to create some crazy training manual, I have them record the process and I want it recorded in such graphic detail that they could hand it to someone on the street and that person could do it. So not just, okay, sign into QuickBooks, here's the login, here's the password, here's where it is, here's what it is. And there's great software too for this. There's one called Process Street. Uh, There's another that I love with our learning management software that we use at our business called Trainual. And this way, there's no, you know, we're not too dependent on, God forbid, something happens, one of our employees leaves. that that knowledge doesn't live in her brain. It's, It's actively in our system so that we can onboard someone in the meantime or we could onboard a replacement and it's all right there and I don't have to worry about where it is and how it's hiding.
0: I'm going to check out Trainual.
1: Trainual is awesome. You can record videos. You can. And actually, that's something that we focused on while we were closed. I tried to think about, OK, well, what can we do that I wish we always had time to do? What cool projects can we dive into on our team front? And um, one of my massage therapists who who is a more senior person, uh, senior in age, who I was worried about him coming back to work because he was in a higher risk age group. Um, he's also uh, an actor and he had done a lot of Shakespearean acting. And I was like, OK. Here is, here is the project. I want to record. I want to make this more interesting for our new hires. Can we record this as video content? So he recorded a lot of our training videos, which I was really happy about.
0: That's really cool. Rory Vaden, going back to Rory Vaden. So after you automate, he says, if it can't be automated, then you delegate it. And then if you can't delegate it, those are the tasks that you do. And so I think that was really interesting, which is you eliminate, you automate, you delegate. And if it can't be Eliminated automated or delegated now you know what you're supposed to be doing.
1: everything and, can be delegated
0: <laughs> well <laughs> that's an interesting point. I mean he, how
1: does Tony Robbins have 70 businesses right
0: he's still doing things though
1: he, he is he is it's
0: not like he's he's not he's not sitting in the they can't do his public speaking
1: I think I think what I think what it gets when it gets interesting is um, if you if you start to have your money working for you right your money is a little you're going out and making you money so investing is I think the next step up.
0: Yeah. I think when I say the task that you should, you should, you should be doing, I think when I think about that, if you can't be sitting on a beach in the Caribbean 24 seven, because there's something you have to do, then that's what you're supposed to be doing.
1: I don't know. I'm going to fight with you on that one.
0: All right. All right. Well, right now, are you still, are you still, are do you do any work?
1: So uh, I do the work I love to do. But I wouldn't. So what I do for my massage studios is every single week we have an all team strategy meeting on Mondays because it's fun and I love strategy. I love generation of ideas. I love innovation. um, And I like to be in charge of um, also having ideas but listening to my team's ideas uh, and like just inspiring them to do different things and then uh, someone else is overseeing those projects. I'm just seeing them come in. And then the other thing that I do every week is I have a one-on-one with my ops manager, where she just gives me the rundown of, okay, what happened last week? What am I doing this week? And she gives me a KPI report at the end of the week as well. So with my, with my massage therapy business, I'm actually doing quite little. Um, I put myself, I kind of fired myself from all daily operations and I put myself entirely in charge of growth. So in a time where growth is available, like coming up, uh, I look at real estate. I make connections. I look at financing. So I do those things because it's fun.
0: But I think those are part of your business, though. Yes, I think those are the tasks you have to do.
1: I'm teaching my ops manager to do it too, though, because I want her to be able to go out and identify. We have we have a process for how do we identify a great piece of real estate? What does that look like for us? And one of my favorite ways is Google Trends. Do you know about this?
0: Sure. Google Trends, I know.
1: Google Trends is my favorite thing. So if we look at, in a city that's so densely populated like New York, we can look at massage in whatever neighborhood- and in Google Trends, compare it to massage in whatever neighborhood we're considering. And we can see in real time how many people are searching for this term and uh, in this 30, 60, 90 days. And we can also compare that with how many existing businesses are there. Is this an underserved market or is this a market that's pretty saturated? And you can pretty accurately figure out what neighborhoods you should open in based on the sales of our current studios and where those searches are coming in.
0: Um, I, have, I have a, go ahead, the other way, go.
1: The other way I love to do this, uh, which is a little bit fake it till you make it is to toss up a dummy website. I love a minimum viable product. So I'll toss, I'll toss up a website saying that we're located in a neighborhood or two that I'm considering. And then under the book now button, I will just have a pop up. that says we're not quite open yet, but drop your email for a gift card for when we do open or on the call, it'll be a Google voice number with a message. We're not quite open yet. Leave us your, your name and your email. And we'll go ahead and send you a gift certificate for when we do open, or you could use it at our other locations. And then I'll run them. I'll compete them off each other for like three months and whichever neighborhood I can see in real time is getting clicks on the book. Now is getting those calls. We know exactly where to open. So this is my like very focused real estate idea is uh, just build a website, even more MVP. You could run a Google ad and just see like which neighborhood is getting more clicks. But this is a really basic super easy way to just test out new neighborhoods when you're thinking of expanding a business.
0: That is a great one. I haven't heard anyone do. And I talk to entrepreneurs all over the country all the time. I love a minimum viable product as well for those who don't know MVP. But I haven't heard anyone do the dummy website. And I talk to local business owners, national companies every day. That is really interesting.
1: Because because for me, I, I don't have uh, investors, right? Like I'm not going to spend 200K of my own money building something out unless I am damn certain it's going to crush it, which is part of the reason I think that the businesses did as well as they did, because I was very certain that these neighborhoods were phenomenal for me.
0: After this, I have a couple other ideas for you that I want to share with you on the real estate front and connect you with some other people that I think uh, would be, you would be great to be connected to. So I want to bring us to, and thank you for arguing with me. I like that, that you disagreed. That was great. Uh, I want to take us to the last part of the the show, call it retail wisdom. Uh, I have three questions for you. All right. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead?
1: Um, I, I love a good bookstore. So I, I wish many, many extinct bookstores would come back from the dead because I, I love sitting in a bookstore and, and, I especially like the bookstores that had coffee shops in them.
0: Awesome. What is the last product you bought over $20 in a store?
1: Uh, Probably would have been um, something for my nine month old baby. (laughs) So I'm guessing uh, more than $20, probably his high chair.
0: Oh, where'd you get his high chair?
1: I think it was Target.
0: Target. That brings me to my next question. Let's stay on Target for a second. Last question if we were shopping at target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in?
1: That's a tough one. I, that's gotta be a toss up between, uh, I love target has some really good, um, bulk. What do you call it? It's not granola. It's like trail mix. Sure. Some really good bulk trail mix. And I'm, I think from, from many days of doing massage, many years of doing massage therapy, I love a good, like energy booster snack that I can keep in my bag. Um, so probably like browsing that aisle or, um, I also love the the beauty. I, I love, I love like looking at bath salt and like exfoliator things. I'm a big bathtub person. I love spa things. So probably poking around there.
0: Awesome. Well, listen, this was great. For those out there, please check out Rachel Bider on social media. Go to her, um, go look at her book, Massage MBA. Check it out. I'm sure you get a ton of good business nuggets from that book, even if you're not in massage, uh, because I got a ton of uh, great business information and uh, I am not in massage business. So thank you so much for coming on. This was fantastic. And uh, I hope you uh, keep crushing it. You are inspiring, Rachel.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast.
0: Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retail retold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.